Hi, I'm Elizabeth Messer, and we're so glad that you're joining us for this session, Lesson 7, Jesus, the Author of Our Faith. In this lesson, we will read and discuss Chapter 11, what many have called the Faith Hall of Fame. The author reminds his reader of the many Old Testament heroes who have gone before them, held tightly to the promises of God, and serve as a role model for the faithful. They were heroes to the Jewish believers of the early church, and they remain heroes of faithfulness to the church even today. Thanks for listening. Hi, thanks so much for joining us for Lesson 7 Jesus, the author of our faith. Um, Earlier in the book of Hebrews, the writer has referred to Jesus as both the author and the finisher of our faith. I love that idea. He's the one who was with us in the very beginning, the author of our faith. He will be with us. He is faithful to be with us until the very end of our faith. And this lesson, in this lesson, we're going to be reading and studying chapter 11. And uh, the subtitle in my Bible just is titled By Faith. And this chapter, Hebrews chapter 11, is often called the Faith Hall of Fame because um, it's filled with stories about heroes in the faith who've gone before us, who've gone before the Jewish believers. These are all people that would have been heroes to them in the faith, that they names that they would have recognized from their Jewish ancestors, their Jewish history, um, and they were all pictures and examples of people who held on to the promises of God, even when they didn't see them all um, coming to bear in their lifetime. So, so far in the book, um, the author has been going back and explaining the ministry of Jesus and the identity of Jesus, who Jesus was, what his ministry accomplished. And now we're to the point where he is challenging um, his audience, these Jewish believers, to put their faith into action. So let's look at Hebrews um, chapter 11, beginning at verse 1. Now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. By faith, we understand that the universe was formed at God's command so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. So what words in this passage does the author use to define faith? And in the booklet, I have given you um, several translations to look at. I think it's interesting to look at the words and the um, different translations to think about how they're taking this abstract idea, something that's invisible, our faith, and trying to make it more concrete um, for us. So we have the NIV version. Now, faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain 
of what we do not see. And then in the King James Version, now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. And in the ESV, this very same verse, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. I think it's interesting to look at those three translations of the very same verse where the author is giving us the definition of faith. He starts out by saying, now faith is, he's defining faith for us. And I think it's interesting to compare those. And I'd like for you to read over those three translations in your booklet and just think about what words really stand out to you, which words um, kind of uh, do you gravitate towards being sure of certain substance, evidence, assurance, conviction. Um, some of these words sound like they would be used in a courtroom, don't they? Um, these, uh, I love that I personally love this word, the substance of things hoped for, that he's thinking about faith, but he's taking all the things that we have put our hope in and faith is the substance of those things. It's it's like as if faith were those things personified. And reading over these, it made me think of another verse that we uh, read earlier in our study. It's in Hebrews chapter 6 that says, We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. And I love that picture there of hope being an anchor, this, um, the substance of that, the certainty of that, that is just something that we can hope for and believe and believe in. And would you say that our faith, is it directed towards the future, toward the present, or towards both? What would you say about that? Or do we have faith in something that's here and now? Or is this faith something in the future? And uh, in in my opinion, I would say both and. I would say this faith that we have is something that we're holding on to now in the present day. This something we're certain of, that we have our hope in, um, that it's not only something in the future, but it's also something that we have to look forward to in the future. It's something that we're certain of, that we have a conviction about, that we have an assurance of that is coming in the future. It reminded me also of this verse in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, where it says, We fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. And uh, that's 2 Corinthians 4.18. And just a reminder that um, we have this faith, we have this hope that even in the midst of our present day world where um, we, we don't see everything being renewed and reconciled in Christ, we still have this faith and this hope that he is working in these things, circumstances, 
and through these circumstances to bring all people and the world to himself. Even though it's unseen, it's invisible, we still have this faith that God is working through these things to do something um, that will have eternal consequences, right? So why would this definition of faith have been helpful to the believing Jews that the author is writing to? Why did they need this extra encouragement at this time? Well, if you go back and remember, the author is writing to these new Jewish believers because they were being persecuted for their faith. And at this time, a lot of the persecution was coming from um, their fellow Jews, maybe family members who were criticizing them for following this new way of believing, of believing in Jesus as the Son of God and the ultimate sacrifice for our sins. And I want to go back and just read a portion from chapter 10 right before where the author is writing to them in the midst of their persever- of, of their persecution. Remember those earlier days after you'd received the light, when you stood your ground in a great contest in the face of suffering. Sometimes you were publicly exposed to insult and persecution. At other times, you stood side by side with those who were so treated. You sympathized with those in prison and joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property because you knew that you yourselves had better and lasting possessions. So here the author is talking about, he's reminding them um, of the persecution that they've experienced, the suffering that they've experienced, and he's reminding them to hold tight, tightly to the faith, the new faith that they have in Jesus Christ. And um, this faith, I don't even think it's something that we can muscle up out of our own strength. I think even faith itself is a spiritual gift from God. It starts with that yes in our heart when we say yes to Jesus. And then I think the Holy Spirit slowly over time grows and strengthens and encourages um, that spiritual gift of faith that we have um, that makes us even able to hold firm and secure to some of the things that we're talking about here. I'm just reminded about um, later in Galatians where they talk about the fruits of the Spirit and that one of the fruits of the Spirit is faith, is faithfulness. And it's, um, it's the evidence of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit itself working in our hearts, in our spirit, in our lives to point us back to God. So it's as if the Holy Spirit itself is giving us that gift, that deposit of faith um, so that we can um, cry out and return to God. So even faith itself, I think, is something that we don't muscle up out of our own strength. I think it's a gift from God to even um, be able to reach out and believe in him. We're going to go on and read um, in what I like to call the Faith Hall of Fame. And um, starting it at uh, Hebrews 11, verse 4. And I want you to listen for every time you hear the word faith used in this passage. Think about what aspect of faith is demonstrated by Abel, Adam's son, by Enoch, 
and by Noah. So listen as I read Hebrews 11, um, verses 4 through 7. By faith, Abel offered God a better sacrifice than Cain did. By faith, he was commended as a righteous man when God spoke well of his offerings. And by faith, he still speaks, even though he is dead. By faith, Enoch was taken from this life so that he did not experience death. He could not be found because God had taken him away. For before he was taken, he was commended as one who pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. By faith, Noah, when warned about things not yet seen, in holy fear, built an ark to save his family. By faith, he, con- he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. So how many times did you hear or see the word faith used in that passage? And I'm not going to go back and um, count them, but you can see what it is. The author's using the literary device of repetition uh, to emphasize that it was by faith that these heroes that we um, admire and look to, it was by faith that they held on to these promises of God. And I'll let you go ahead and and fill in, uh, by faith, Noah condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. So it was that belief, it was that holding on to these promises of God. So let's go on and read. Um, The author's going to talk more about examples of Abraham's faith. And I want you to listen again um, for the word faith and how it's used in this passage. And how is faith demonstrated or explained in each of the three examples of Abraham's life? And think about what changed for him and for his family. So as I read this passage, I want you to think about how was Abraham and his family um, examples of living a faith-filled life for us now? Okay, so we're starting in verse 8. By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. By faith, he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city with foundations, whose architect and builder is God. By faith, Abraham, even though he was past age and Sarah herself was barren, was enabled to become a father because he considered him faithful who had made the promise. And so from this one man, and he as good as dead, came descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as countless as the sand on the seashore. All these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, 
and they admitted that they were aliens and strangers on earth. People who say such things show that they are looking for a country of their own. If they had been thinking of the country they had left, they would have had the opportunity to return. Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. By faith, Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He who had received the promises was about to sacrifice his one and only son, even though God had said to him, It is through Isaac that all of your offspring will be reckoned. Abraham reasoned that God could raise the dead, and figuratively speaking, he did receive Isaac back from death. So here in this passage, the author is going through Abraham's life. He's talking about the promises of God that God made to Abraham and how they were fulfilled in Abraham's life, even if they weren't fulfilled in their entirety. And I think that's one really important lesson and message from this chapter is that these heroes of the faith were walking out their faith. They were holding on to the promises of God even, but that didn't mean that they saw their promises in fulfillment during their lifetime. So here it's talking about um, Abraham going out into a country a foreign country that was unknown. He was a stranger. Um, And I was thinking about as I was reading that of some of you seniors that may have already accepted positions in um, towns and places that are far away from your family and friends. And you're moving there knowing that you have a job, um, a job to do. and, And that is very important, but being unsure about the rest of your life but you felt that God is calling you to this next step in this next season, and you're stepping out in faith, just like Abraham was here. You're trusting and believing that God has made clear this one step and that he will be working in and through you to bring community, to help you get plugged into a church, to make friends there, to find a place, Um, All of those things. So I was thinking about you as I was reading um, this one part. I was also thinking about Abraham and the promises that God made to him. Remember back in Genesis where God chooses Abraham and he says, Abraham, look up at the stars. I promise you that your descendants will outnumber the stars. You will have more descendants then even the stars and the sand on this on the seashore, you know, even more than you can count. And, you know, Abraham's thinking, um, I don't even have one descendant and, and I'm an old man. I love in the passage where it says, and so from this one man and he as good as dead, you know, speaking to Abraham's age And also speaking to that, um, again, Abraham didn't do this on his own strength. It wasn't because he was a young man and had many years ahead of him. No, it was God takes these 
um, the weak and the broken and the people who are at the end of their own strength and the end of their life. And he's choosing to make a great nation from this one man who um, is at the end of his own life. I, I love that verse in verse 12 where it says, this one man and he as good as dead. Uh, this picture of God bringing, bringing any, anything, you know, life from death, bringing something back from the grave. But yeah, I think it's important to remember that God made that promise to Abraham and he believed God, even though he didn't see that in his lifetime. Um, he had his one son, Ishmael, where he's trying to um, force God's promise into being before God's timing. And then he has his son, Isaac, and he has his one son, Isaac, who God has chosen uh, to uh carry the family line down through this one son, Isaac, that he sees in his lifetime. So I think that's important for us to keep in mind, too, is that God's promises to us, he doesn't promise us that we'll necessarily see them all come to fruition in our lifetime. Um, But here we have the example of Abraham who believed God, even though he didn't see that in his lifetime. So what does it mean to you? There's also this part um, starting around verse 13. What does it mean to you to be an alien and a stranger in this world? In what ways do you feel like a stranger in this world? And I'm going to go back and read that section again because I think it's, it's worth reading over. All these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance. And they admitted that they were aliens and strangers on earth. People who say such things show that they are looking for a country of their own. If they had been thinking of a country they had left, they would have had the opportunity to return. Instead, they were longing for a better country a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. And I love that reference at the very end to the book of Revelations, where we talk about the new heaven and the new earth. And uh, John says he sees this city. Behold, I see the new city coming. Um, I love that reference. But Yeah, in what ways do you ever feel like a stranger in this world? I I know, speaking for myself, that as a follower of Jesus, there's times where the decisions that I make, that my husband and I make together for our family, it doesn't really make sense to the world. Um, The world wouldn't say that was a very popular or admirable decision. And I think that's something to keep in mind is that as you follow Jesus, there's going to be times where it seems like foolishness to the rest of the world. Um, it wouldn't be something that you would post on Instagram and and have a big announcement about, but there are things that are quiet, things that are done in secret. There are things that are um, not to bring fame and fortune but because you're being obedient 
to God. You're doing the things that he's asking you to do. Um, but in a lot of ways, they don't make sense to the world and what the world values. I'm just thinking about, do you remember when we read about Jesus as our great high priest and even the sacrifice? And remember how it talked about, the author talks about that the things here on earth are just a copy and a shadow of the heavenly realities. And I think as believers, that part of having our faith in God is that we believe in this heavenly reality that, yes, we see the world around us, but we also believe in a reality that's almost even more true. And I'm just thinking of those verses that talk about the things here are just a copy and a shadow of what's in heaven. And so we're we're holding tight to, we're certain of this heavenly reality even though um, we can't see it or maybe touch it, we have our hope and faith um, in the things that God values, the things that um, he puts of, of high importance in his kingdom. And a lot of times that's not going to make sense in this world. And do you ever feel homesick? Do you ever feel longing for a better, more permanent place? And, um, you know, I have to say anyone who reads the news or watches the news, um, sometimes our only response can be, you know, come Lord Jesus, come and reconcile this world, bring your healing and redemption and restoration. Um, this is not the way you created things to be in the garden. Just when we see the um, havoc and destruction that that man creates in this world, um, I don't know about you, but there's many times where um, you just feel the pain and the sorrow and the heaviness of this world. And there's that sense of longing for Jesus to come and make all things new. Continue reading on in chapter 11, and I want you to listen for or underline the word faith every time you hear it in this passage. Also, as I read about the different people that the author mentions in this chapter, I want you to think about their stories and their stories of faith and what you feel like they have in common. Why did the author include these different people and their stories in this chapter? So here I go, starting at verse 20. By faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau in regard to their future. By faith, Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of Joseph's sons and worshipped as he leaned on the top of his staff. By faith, Joseph, when his end was near, spoke about the exodus of the Israelites from Egypt and gave instructions about his bones. By faith, Moses' parents hid him for three months after he was born because they saw he was no ordinary child and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known, known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a short time. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as a greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead to his reward. 
By faith, he left Egypt, not fearing the king's anger. He persevered because he saw him who is invisible. By faith, he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn would not touch the firstborn of Israel. By faith, the people passed through the Red Sea on dry land. And when the Egyptians tried to do so, they were drowned. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell after the people had marched around them for seven days. By faith, the prostitute Rahab, because she welcomed the spies, was not killed with those who were disobedient. And what more shall I say? I do not have time to tell about Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, and gained what was promised, who shut the mouths of lions, quenched the fury of the flames, and escaped the edge of the sword, whose weaknesses was turned to strength and who became powerful in battle and routed foreign in armies. Women received back their dead, raised to life again. Others were tortured and refused to be released so that they might gain a better resurrection. Some faced jeers and flogging while still others were chained and put in prison. They were stoned They were sawed in two. They were put to death by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, and mistreated. And the world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains and in caves and holes in the ground. These were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised God had planned something better for us so that only together with us would they be made perfect. This is the word of the Lord. So what did you hear when I read those passages? Um, What do you feel that these stories of faith have in common? I wish we could be together now to... um, hear your comments and your dis- and your discussion i was just struck as i read this story of all the different people who as the author writes um did not see the fruit of their faithfulness um restored during their lifetime you know moses saw the israelites who were freed from captivity and that was his part but he never saw them enter the promised land or um, defeat the many armies in battle. Uh, And in some ways, that's a comfort to me, that knowing that decisions I'm making and, and even small decisions or big decisions, that they have an impact on my eternal relationship with God and um, for my family and for my descendants coming after me, but I I won't see necessarily see the reward in the short term. Um, I won't I won't necessarily see it in the present day, and I have to hold fast to believing in a better world that's been promised. 
if we were in person, I'd love to ask you of all the people mentioned in this chapter, is there anyone or their story that you feel drawn to and why? And you could do a whole study on this passage and just go back through and look up these different people that he mentions and look up their story and read about them in the Old Testament, the different um, people of faith that he's mentioned here. So considering this audience, why does the author include so many stories of persecution among the faithful? How do these verses encourage you in the light of the suffering that you see or have experienced yourself in the brokenness of this world? So I think we've already talked about these were Christians who were experiencing suffering and persecution, and the author is reminding them, um, hey, when you think about people of faith of the past, don't have kind of this romantic golden age view of, oh, if we could only go back um, to these days when things were so much easier, he's reminding them, no, people have always suffered for their faith when they've st- when they've stood with God and you're in good company you're good in good company also in light of your present situation is it helpful for you to hear about these stories um, for those who've been who have suffered for your faith and if we were in person too I would love to ask you and just hear from you who are your modern day, heroes of the faith. I think it's so important for all of us to have people that we can look to, people that we know have gone through difficult circumstances, but yet they've held tightly to their faith. They've grown in their faith. They've believed God and his promises, even in the midst of hardship and difficulties And many of those people, if you go back and talk to them and interview them about that time, they'll talk about how God was very present and real to them. And they'll talk about how they grew in their faith during that hardship. But um, we know that God promises, Jesus tells us, um, the world, you know, be prepared. The world will hate you because it hated me also. And I think it's important for us to prepare ourselves as best as we can for those times of persecution. And I think one of those is thinking about and holding fast to people that we um, can admire and look to who've walked through difficult times and still held on to their faith. Um, I hope so many of you got to hear from Andrew Brunson and his wife, Nadine, who were on campus just this year talking about their own persecution that they went through when they were missionaries in Turkey and Andrew was unjustly um, imprisoned because of his faith. He was truly persecuted for his faith. And I just finished reading his book this winter called God's Hostage. And the thing that was so encouraging to me about his book was he wanted to write an honest book about how difficult um, and how challenging it was. He felt that the books that he had read before, um, that just he he wasn't prepared for anything like that. And obviously, he was in extreme circumstances. 
but just that um, I just appreciated how honest he was about how difficult he was, the the hard questions he asked. Um, so that's one that I would recommend to you that I've recently read that is a story about um, someone whose faith was tested, um, who had a very difficult time, who had difficult questions for God as to why he allowed this to happen as they were there being his ministers. Um, and um, But that's one that I would really recommend to you. So how does it make you feel that so many of these heroes of the faith died before they received the things that they were promised? Um, I hope for you and whatever it is that you're walking through in this season, that that's an encouragement to you that um, just because you may not see the answer to your prayers or you may not see reconciliation or um, a resolution with your problems, that doesn't mean that God is not with you. Um, Remember that Jesus promises, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. That nothing can separate you from the love of God. So I hope that you find that encouragement that even though you may not see a resolution or reconciliation, um, that And I think that's part of what's hard of living in a broken world is there's so many things that we we live with that will not be made right on this side of eternity. And um, that's something, it's encouraging for me to know that that's something that these people lived with too. They held on to the faith, believing in the promises of God, but not necessarily seeing them come to resolution in their lifetime. So thinking back on Hebrews eleven six, what is this heavenly city that the author is referring to? Read Revelations 21 together. So now I'm going to read from Revelations chapter 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men, and he will live among them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes, There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. I love that image. Um, the, The author of Hebrews refers to they were longing for a city, a new place, a city better than the one that they have. And I love how he's writing that even before John had his great revelation on the Isle of Patmos. And But now we can go back, because we have that revelation written down, we can go back and um, read that description of what that holy city will be like. And I love the part 
so tender where it says he will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. And friends, this is what we hope for. This is what we believe in. This is what we have faith will come to pass um, when Jesus comes and makes all things new. So be encouraged. Let me close us with a prayer. Father, my heart is turned toward you and I want to receive all that you have for me in the present and in the years to come. Take my mustard seed-sized faith and grow it by your love, your word, and by your Holy Spirit. Help me to remember that although my faith may be small, that I worship an ever-faithful God. Amen. you are encouraged by that message. Please join us for the following lessons and be sure to subscribe, like, and comment on this podcast Elizabeth Messer shares on your favorite podcasting platform. Thank you. Thank you.